peace be with you. We uh, turn your Bibles, uh, open your Bibles, turn your Bible on. We're going to Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Genesis uh, 2, 1 through 3. It's a short text. Going to the creation account and God's been doing his marvelous work of speaking things into existence and we come to a moment of closure here and here's um, what it says. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. This guy named Richard Feynman, he was a um, physicist. He won a Nobel Prize in quantum physics in 1965. You could say he was pretty smart. And um, I would try to explain what he, he, he won a Nobel Prize for, but I don't quite understand it myself, so I won't discuss that. Um, but he wasn't just smart in physics. He was smart in terms of time and how he operated within it. In an interview, he once said this. I just want to read it to you and you can read it yourself. He said this, to do real good physics work, you need absolute solid lengths of time. It needs a lot of concentration. If you have a job administering, administrating anything, you don't have time. So I have invented another myth for myself that I'm irresponsible. I'm actively irresponsible. I tell everyone I don't do anything. If anyone asks me to be on a committee for admissions, no, I tell them, I'm irresponsible. It's, uh, I find that hilarious. Uh, but underneath his sarcasm, I think there's something about what he's saying, his train of thought. I think it's really inspiring and I think it's really instructive. Feynman had clarity about what he really wanted. He had, a, he had a clarity about what that required of him. And so he was very ruthless in terms of his determination to eliminate busyness, distraction, anything like that, that might tear him away from what he really wanted to do. He was very intentional about his time. Now, I, We'll get back to what Feynman was saying in a second. But first, I just want to bring us right back to the beginning of what we're doing in the series, like what we're talking about, what the, what the main thing is. We began this series on spiritual and emotional rest, looking at Jesus's invitation to you, right? Matthew, Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, to me, come, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, when you think about that, 
and you really put it to heart, you lay it to heart, think and imagine, if you can, deeply, what it means, really, that Jesus is claiming here. I mean, it seems too good to be true, especially comparatively when you think about how you experience the world and maybe even how you experienced or thought God, what God was like growing up. Jesus is saying, despite what you might think or what you might have heard about God, I'm here to reframe your imagination around God. I'm, I'm here to show you that, that God is not harsh. He's not demanding. He's not a slave driver. That God does not demand that you earn approval or love. You don't, you don't, earn, you don't need to earn that. And, and, and to believe in that, no one can take that away from you. I, not no one. No one can take away the love of God from you. To be fully known, warts and all, you know, imperfections and all, past and all, failures and all, like to be fully known in all of it and yet fully still loved. It's not something we're used to experiencing. That's why we just don't really believe it. And, 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 and we struggle to believe it. And, and I think that to know that, to experience that, to believe in that, to belong to someone who is so attentive to your soul's well-being, like that somebody's thinking all the time about your soul and the condition of your soul and, and wants your soul to be well and to be at peace, to, to be in the presence of that kind of a person and, and, and to never be cast out for, for admitting like any of your failures to know that you'll always be welcome. I, I, I just think that that at its core is what it means essentially to be at rest. That's really what it is. It's not really to sit on the couch and watch um, a movie or to, you know, just to, or to read or to whatever you do in terms of rest to take a nap. I mean, those things are wonderful, but ultimately to, to experience being loved in that particular way is what it means to be at rest. And I think um, so many of you believe it. I mean, I, 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 I really believe that. And some of you are on the brink of believing it. You know, you're, maybe you've been coming here for a little bit and you're being purged of all your religiosity that you grew up with. Uh, but I, I, I would say all of us, and to some extent, struggle to hold on to it. We struggle to hold on to the gospel we, we struggle to hold on to this elusive, unbelievably good news, the truth of what Jesus is offering. It, it, it's hard for us to keep it as our modus operandi. And, and, and I think we know that. We should be able to admit that because it, it shows up in all of our chronic worrying. <laughs> it shows up in our defensiveness when we're criticized. It, it, it shows up in our fear of people. It shows up in all of our paranoias. It shows up in our restlessness. It shows up in our compulsive need to gain approval from people. It's where it's showing up in all of these areas. And there are a number of reasons why I think um, we get so distant or detached from this kind of a truth that God is like this. This is the kind of God, gentle and lowly. And I, we can talk about those. We could talk about those. But this morning, I'm not here to talk about like the bad teaching that people get under or 
the oppressive conscience that you have or, or even like unhealthy relationships that you've been in. And those all have a place. They deserve a conversation, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to address a more subtle and pernicious problem as to why you struggle to believe in the gospel. And to simply put it, I'll just say it like this. We just don't stop and bask in it. That's it. (laughs) We actually just, we rush right past it. You know, we don't take the time to stop and revel and bask and delight in it. To go back to Feynman's words, I would say it like this. We don't have absolute solid lengths of time to concentrate upon it, to lay it to our hearts, to lay it to our minds. In other words, it's like we're so stinking responsible to so many things, we are irresponsible to our souls. So many things, many of which are good things, but we stack up so many things to be responsible for that we are therefore irresponsible to the very necessary thing that our soul needs. Like Feynman's fear about distraction, when it comes to the good news, we simply just don't have time for it. We don't have time for it. When I was in elementary school, I don't know if they still have this now. I was on this thing called the safety patrol. You're like, it all makes sense now. <laughs> it all makes sense. I got elected to the safety patrol because I, like, I, I took this test. I, this, I don't remember. It was, I don't know why, why they gave us a test. When I had to take this test, I had to pass this test. I took the test simply to get out of class. And then it just so happens that I passed the test and I was like, well, I guess I'm give, they're giving me a badge. And so... Um, you know, but if, I don't know if they still have that, but, you know, at Safety Patrol, it's, it's this thing, you know, it's like after school or playground secure, <laughs> security guards, you know, for the kids uh, that, li- that are living under the illusion of, author- of authority. And um, so, yeah, that was me. And I, and, and I reveled in the position. You can picture little me um, with an orange harness on and a badge. And, you know, the most common words that you speak in safety patrol are this. Stop. Slow down. Stop running. Yeah? I said it a lot. A lot. I liked to say it. (laughs) Which here's the thing. Um, Friends, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the good news to you. And it's the same words. Stop, quit running, you know, stop. You're running and you're running and you're running. Stop. They didn't know um, at the time that I was a, I was a prophet of the playground, you know, (laughs) it was all the God was working it all together. I found my calling And so I want you to imagine this morning, if you don't hear anything else that I say, I just want you to imagine me with an orange harness and a cool badge, (laughs) just yelling at you to stop. Please stop. Stop your rushing around. Stop being responsible for so many things. 
Who is demanding that you do that? Your mom, your dad, your boss. You have agency, you have agency. And you are allowed to say, I'm done. Running and running and running. In all seriousness, you know, I joke about the, the safety patrol thing, but much of our restlessness is just due to the simple fact that many of us rarely sit still and within our own time, undistracted and undisturbed, to relish in how deeply loved we are. And I think that if we did, and if you do, you have experienced this, but I think if we did more of that, to be honest, it would feel so foreign to us, so awkward to us. Because we, 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 we are marinating in a culture that doesn't really praise that. We would probably feel like we're detoxing, you know, off of a drug called workaholism. And, 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 and we would feel like we're detoxing from busyness and from, quote, getting ahead. Last week, I said that we live out this sad irony. The, the sad irony is that um, we think that we can worry our way into peace. And that's insane. That's insane. <laughs> That'll never work. And this week, today, what I'm trying to say is that we think so often that we can hurry our way into peace. Hurry will never do that. Being in a hurry, running around, busyness, busyness, never. Being overworked, never brought you peace. And it never will. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard said this, most men pursue pleasure with such breathless haste that they hurry past it. In 1982, uh, Larry Dorsey, an American physician, coined the term, quote, time sickness to describe the obsessive belief that, quote, time is getting away, that there isn't enough of it, and you must pedal faster and faster to keep up. Sound like you're weak? Carl Jung the Swiss psychiatrist, he wrote, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Richard Foster was writing this. He said, Thomas Merton was once asked to diagnose the leading spiritual disease of our time. Merton gave a one word answer, efficiency. You're like, I, that's like my identity. We live in this culture, a strange culture, when you really stop and think about it, right? Like we, particularly in the West, we, we, we don't just value productivity and achievement. We make, like, we idolize it. It's our golden calf. We worship it. I mean, we brag about how much we're doing. Our technology when you think about it, when you watch it, it's going at such a rapid pace. <laughs> I find this so ironic about us. It, it's going at such a rapid pace. It's like it can replace all of these things that we do. And instead of us actually just sitting and resting and reflecting more, we just cram more stuff in. You know, I wrote, I, I, I tried to write a portion of my sermon um, this week while I did laundry and ran the Roomba. 
at the same time, I was getting all of this done. And by the way, all of that part, all of that part, the stuff I wrote there, it was all garbage and I threw it out. It was, none of it was any good. I was multitasking. And that's what we do. We multitask our whole lives. Think about it. In most jobs and fields, those who typically get rewarded with promotions aren't always the wisest people. They're just the people that, quote, sell their souls to the job and to the company. Executive counselor Mary Bell said, achievement is the alcohol of our time. That's weird. I think she's right. And it's weird. If your friend, your coworker, your employee, your boss, whatever, had a massive drinking problem, you would be like, this is bad, man. This is not good. We need to get you help. Nobody's going to say a word to you if you overwork. You will get promoted. It's strange. And by the way, I not throwing stones in a glass house. The church can be the worst at this. Pastors being the worst at this sometimes. I've mentioned this before, but pastors rightly get fired if they give themselves over to sexual immorality, but will be given a bigger platform if they work 24 seven. That's strange. Very strange to me. It's so backwards to the kingdom of God and how God models right living for us. And you read the, the Genesis of it in Genesis two. Genesis two, one through three, it's so short. It's like so such a short thing, repetitive even in the way it's written, but it's so fascinating because of a seeming paradox or a contradiction of terms. Six days, God has been creating things, light, land, seasons, animals, vegetation, all of that is written in there leading up to this, the section that you read. And then of course, humans made in his image on the sixth day. And then you read this after all of this, thus the heavens and the earth were what? Finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God, what? Finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God on it rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the word finished there, as you noticed, is in there twice. Why is God finishing something he already finished? That's <laughs> strange. You know, the simplest way, this has fascinated scholars for centuries. So the simplest way to try to explain it, for me to try to explain it, is what scholars have concluded here is that God created something actually on the seventh day. He created rest and he created delight. Like it was an actual creation of God. Uh, it's what the ancients called in Hebrew, menuah. And, 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 and here's what theologian and philosopher Abraham, Abraham Heschel wrote. He said, quote, menuah, it, which we usually render with rest, means here much more than withdrawal from labor and exertion, more than freedom from toil, strain, or activity of any kind. What was created on the seventh day? Tranquility. Serenity, peace, repose to the biblical mind, manua is the same as happiness 
and stillness as peace and harmony. In other words, the last work God does to complete his work is stopping and delighting in his work. Delight, joy, and peace itself is a creation of God. That's really interesting when you think about it. That he weaved that pattern. There's this rhythm of work and then delighting. He weaved it into the cosmos. And I really do think it's everywhere. It's right underneath our nose. Have you ever wondered, caught this strange thing? Scientific study after scientific study, which looks at your sleep, keeps concluding the same thing. That human beings need on average between six and eight hours of sleep a night. So the average of that in the middle would be seven. Now, you, that's strange. And there's many more things like that that have nothing to do with this. So they think they just keep studying it and they keep finding these rhythms and these patterns in the world and the creation and in the human being. These circadian things going on, these rhythms. And it's like, what's going on here? Here it is. God designed it a certain way. The seventh day of stopping and resting isn't just though a design for a seven-day week. It's a gift. It's a cosmic gift. That's how we're supposed to read it. It's, think of it this way. What you read in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, is an expression of love from God. That's what it is. Think about it. Why is God resting? Is God somehow exhausted from his work? Is he somehow like, whew, been trying to meet this creation deadline and I've been running so fast, I'm exhausted. The silly, right? You know that that's silly. Of course not. God doesn't get tired. If he can speak seasons into existence, he's not tired. So what is he doing resting? Well, he's not anxious, he's not needy, and he's not burned out. He's expressing something. He's expressing to his creation that you are not loved because of what you do for me. You are loved because I love you. And this proves it. If you're like, what do you mean? We'll consider it. And I credit Professor A.J. Savota for pointing this out to me, but Adam and Eve created on the sixth day. If you turn back, you can read that. If God operated like the world, if God operated like your current employer, if you have one, God would have said this. He would have said on their first day of creation, unbroken creation, by the way, he would have said, listen, here's your purpose. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule, have dominion, go ahead, govern it, be a gardener. Now, here's your shovel. If you do a good work, you prove yourself worthy. At the end of the week, I'll give you a day of rest because that will be your earned weekend, your time off. That's not what God did. Adam and Eve opened their eyes their first day of creation and God said, welcome. You have a purpose, you have a duty, you're gonna have all these tasks. Right now is the weekend. Right now we party. Right now we delight. Their first thing was rest. 
was watching God delight in his creation before it had done anything for him. The first impression, their first impression of God was one who was at ease, who was not demanding, who was pleased and delighting in them, not on the basis of what they can do for him. It's gospel before the term is ever written into the New Testament. Grace here, what you're seeing in Genesis 2, grace was not given as a response to their work. Rather, work flowed out of the grace that was already bestowed upon them. And everything written in Genesis 1 and 2 here is written in a way that builds up to this moment of stopping and resting. And in the two verses of Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3, there's those two, just those two verses there. And I'll probably lose some of you on this. There are three sentences in Hebrew, three sentences of seven Hebrew words each. The middle word of each sentence is the word for the seventh day. Now, you're like, what? You've lost me? Look, the point is this. It's a textual feature that the author is using to express that the seventh day is the high moment of creation. Meaning this, as good and special and as loved as we are, we are not the crescendo of the creation account. The stopping day is. That's the high moment. That's the moment that's being really celebrated. The seventh day of stopping, resting, and delighting is the crescendo. It's why, although God said over everything that it is good, and then over you, he said, you are good and you are blessed. He didn't call any of it holy except for the seventh day. It's the only thing that he declared in that scene as holy. Holy. Why? Why? Because this was the day that he would stop delight and rest in everything he made. The point we're meant to take away is that rest is sacred to God. Rest may not be sacred to our culture. Stopping may not be sacred in your home, but it's sacred to God. It's sacred to him. And he did this not only to give a gift, but to model a way of living within his created order. It's why much later down in the storyline, and I don't have the time to show all of these examples, but much later down in the storyline, God commanded his people to Sabbath one day a week. That just word means to cease, stop, stop <laughs> one day a week. He commanded this for his people to observe and to remember. You can read it in Exodus 20, Exodus 31, shows back up in Deuteronomy 5. Stop one day, that's what he told them. He commanded that no matter what, one day a week, you stop and remember who I am, how I feel about you and how I delight in you, the way I take care of you. And then it's why centuries later, Jesus would enter this broken creation and his invitation wasn't come to me and I'll put you to work and show you how to earn your way back to God. It's not what he said. <laughs> I've already read it. He said, come to me if you're tired, come rest, come learn from me. Because in essence, you have drifted so far, so east of Eden, so far out there. You don't even know how to get your way back. I'll do it for you. That's the invitation of Jesus. 
That's why then in Mark 2, verse 27, Jesus, when he's confronted on all of this, will say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift. It's a gift to you. God stops and delights in you simply because that's who God is. That's what he's like. So the question is just this. Do we realize the depth and importance of the pattern? Do we realize the depth and importance on this side of the fall, on this side of Jesus dying and raising for us? Do we stop and delight in the work that's already been performed for us? Will we stop to observe and remember? Not just that God stopped and delighted, but that God stooped down and then saved you. That like, when in your week, you know, how, how, where are you taking concentrated moments of time where you're delighting in that? And there's lots of freedom in how you do it, but what would it look like for you to be intentional about your stopping, intentional about your resting, intentional about your slowing, intentional about your awareness to speed, intentional about your awareness to busyness, to being overworked and bringing in more awareness to the idolatry of productivity, busyness, and overwork, all of those things, to put one day and seven aside, or even half a day, half a day even in your week aside, where you bring your awareness back to what God has done for you in and through Christ. Because this isn't, and I thought a lot about this, I have thought a lot about this. This isn't just for vocational workers. This isn't just for parents with little ones. This isn't just for people in school. This isn't just for people in paraministry. This is for every single person in every season of your life. Everyone, I've talked to plenty of people in different seasons. Everybody has deep, like restless stirrings underneath that nag at them, everyone. Of any age, whether you're at the height of your career, whether you're retired, whether you're just getting started, everybody. But I can assure you this, if you pick this up, this pattern, this rhythm, this ritual, this Sabbathing, this Sabbath way of life, if you start to pick it up, I can assure you, it will probably feel incredibly awkward or inconvenient to you at times. It can feel clunky. It can feel difficult. We are all underdeveloped, I think, in stopping and basking in God's delight. We would much prefer religion. Give me stuff to do. Give me work. I'm more comfortable there. I feel like I can control this thing. I just want you to know that it's okay and all of that struggle is expected the ways and messages of the culture and the world are embedded, I think, so deep into us. It's, not, it's gonna be very, <laughs> it's gonna be painful at times and it's, it's just not gonna go away overnight to understand the, what it means to just stop and bask in the delight of God is a very difficult thing for us. But I would just say this, if you, if you attempt this and, and, and you can come see me and I've got resources or you could go talk to one of the people in the rest cohort and they could teach you probably everything that they know and they're learning. I would just say this, if you find yourself resistant, because I find that a lot of modern day Christians are very resistant to stopping and resting one day a week. I would say this, if you find yourself resistant, okay, why? Why? And you're like, well, I've got this. And I, why do you have that? 
Well, because they just keep going, digging. Why? What is it doing to your soul? Do you like what it's producing? Do you feel yourself deeply at rest? Do you feel yourself deeply grateful? Do you feel yourself being filled with joy? What's the reason for the busyness, the speed, the constant need to perform, the constant need to work, the constant need to achieve, the constant need to produce? And I would just say this, if you're struggling with that, ask God to help you. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 11, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think stopping and basking in God's work for us is a good thing. And I think if you ask for it and you say, God, I'm not good at this. I don't know how to do this. I'm struggling with this. Help me to bask in delight all of these things in you. I think if we ask him, I think God will deliver. I just do. It's the thing he gave at the beginning. It's the thing he still offers still. And so I would just say the communion meal that we take week after week after week, the bread, the wine is a gift. And I wanna remind you first and foremost that it is not a reward for your work. It is a celebration of his. Each week when you come forward, that is what you and I are proclaiming is that we are celebrating. I mean, think of all the rituals that Jesus could have given us to participate and practice, to remember the gospel. There could have been a task and it could have been a, a duty or a work. And instead it's just a meal. It's a meal. And a meal is you sitting down and taking part and enjoying and delighting. That is how Jesus wants you to remember him. And so this bread represents Christ's body broken for you. And this cup of wine represents the blood of Christ poured out for you. And so please just, I, I don't know what your impressions of this, this idea of stopping and delighting is. I don't, I don't know what your impressions of Jesus are in this particular season of your life, but I would just say, take moments right now take the time, concentrated time to stop and ask for help in these areas. I need it too. Pray for me. Pastors need your help. We struggle with workaholism. We, we struggle with even getting confused about how we think that we're earning our approval from God or earning our approval from you or, or those sorts of things. These are things that I work out too, just like you. And we're in this together. And so it, it, it is something that we work at together. We ask each other, we encourage each other and we help each other. If you're a Christian, you're invited. You don't have to be a member of our church here to, to take, come to this station or this station, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. And you're proclaiming Christ's death in your place. And if you're not, I hope you'll continue to come and keep asking questions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning uh, for what kind of God you are that, that I, I, I couldn't possibly work this out in my mind or invent a, a better God than the one that you just are. That, that you, you stop as an expression of your love. You, you stop simply to say that I am not what I do. I am not um, what I can achieve. I am someone who is loved by you. We are all that. May we remember it. 
a, be a, a good news that settles our soul this morning in whatever place that we came in. May we hand over our anxieties, our fears, our worries to you, our overwork to you, our exhaustion over to you. And may we just bask in your love for us. I pray that whoever in here this morning is just beat down by the culture and the world in terms of the busyness and the speed and the overwork, I hope that they have a moment to remember that you do not demand that kind of life of them. May we all leave here in peace this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.